0: This is Karen Hunter, and welcome to The Hub.
1: Tell you a story. Once upon a time, a man got fucked. Now, how is that for a story? Because that's the story of black people in America. Shit. <laughs> hey. yes.
0: And it goes on from there, five-minute monologue that was one of the most riveting pieces of television I had seen in a while that was on a show called American Gods. That was Mr. Nancy, played by the gentleman that I'm about to introduce. He's no longer on that show. To their detriment, let me welcome the illustrious, the accomplished Orlando Jones.
1: Uh, deep bow, my lady. Deep now,
0: <laughs> listen, um, I, I've been following you since before Sleepy Hollow. You know, you, you're that dude. And Sleepy Hollow, I was mad that you weren't on that, because that was my show. And then uh, Bahari, I think, <laughs> left as well. And I was like, the hell with it. It needs to go down in flames, and it did. Uh, then American Gods, and I was like, how are they going to let this man be this black? And apparently they didn't.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I, cr- I crossed the line somewhere along the way. <laughs> I got too black and too real or something. I'm, I always find it funny, because I'm like, well, that was the character you handed me. That was the character I wanted to play, and now you're mad that people like the black character. I mean people ain 't mad at you about Mr. Nancy. The only person who's mad about Mr. Nancy are the people who make the show. everybody else of all races, creeds, <laughs> colors, religions are uh, you know excited about the character and and can see the natural parallels, but also understand that uh you know, what Neil Gaiman's book, American Gods, is really about is, is what America is and what America worships, and, and that we manifest what we believe. Mm. And there are too many neo-confederate, alt-right holdovers from old regimes that still fundamentally believe we're second-class citizens, and if that's the belief you hold, then uh, those are the actions you take.
0: How much of that dialogue, and I'm, I already probably know the answer to this, so let me a- ask it differently. What was the process of writing those? Because you had several powerful monologues. That was the one in the hold of a ship, slave ship. You had another one with the other gods. I think it was in a morgue or something that you guys are talking.
1: In the funeral uh, home.
0: In the funeral home. Uh, what, what was your process for writing those, those monologues?
1: So first I got a shout-out to uh, Brian Fuller and Michael Green. Uh, They wrote the Slave Ship uh, monologue, Mr. Nancy's introduction. They were running the show at that time. And, uh, you know, I credit them for giving me the leeway to breathe the life into it the way that I wanted to. But we had one conversation, and they were like, you knock it out, and that was it. So those words in that first speech uh, are Brian Fuller and Michael Green. Um, in The Funeral Home and anything in second season, that's predominantly me and uh, Rodney Barnes. Um, the Funeral Home in particular is probably more heavily me, uh, but Rodney Barnes absolutely was, uh, was my, uh, my counterpart. He was a co-executive producer on the show, and uh, he was uh, somebody who I, I really enjoyed working with and who could assist me in the authorship of Mr. Nancy. Um, but frankly for season two once you know neil gaiman came to me and said hey can you write a character bible for mr nancy and then said i love this spread it around and i found myself writing you know bilquist Ebus, mr nancy's laura moon salim and the Jinn, new media mr world sam Blackcrow. i mean i you know at that point you know i was producing and, and running the show along with you know some other talented producers, Chris Byrne and uh, Lisa Kostner. Ian McShane was really the only support I had. And uh, mm. the studio, uh, Fremantle and Dante DiLorento, were a complete nightmare from start to finish.
0: Why do you think that is? You know, as, as we look, even before George Floyd, even before all of this happened, we, we had a series, a string of things that w- would have told you, if you're listening to the drum beat that we're headed towards something. That and, and even the reaction to Mr. Nancy, because I, I was on Twitter when folks were just—I mean—they were sharing that all, your monologues, like like they were life. As you're seeing this happen, why then? And, and it's almost—it's weird. It's almost like you cut off your nose and spite your face, or you don't really want to have the success at the expense of what exactly? Your power, your 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 perceived—you uh, know—position. Uh, like, why would they get rid of a character that? seem to be actually tapping into what was happening in America.
1: I would, I, would, I would add on to that and say, why would you get rid of a character that is going to hurt you fiscally? As, as an executive, as, as you have a relationship with your viewers and a relationship with the, the, the stock price of the company that you work with, why would you make a, a, a poor business decision that poor? And my answer to that is it's because you're a racist. There's no really, and and if I'm wrong about that, then I I challenge someone to give me a more plausible reason, but it was really the way they went about it that makes me say that because the treatment was so inequitable. It it was not just that, you know, in a four-year, three-and-a-half-year period, I worked on American Gods 22 days. 22 days was the amount of time I worked as an actor on that show while they sat on my rights and didn't allow me to go do other things. So that's a problem. That's, that's, that's what Kurt Flood was fighting about with free agency. For any actor, that's a problem beyond me. And my point is that whatever their reasons were, if I was too black, if I was too – you didn't like – my breath, uh, you, you know, I, I got sweaty palms, what, whatever your reason is for rendering inequitable treatment upon another human being, I didn't give you any cause to do that because all I did was my job. So I, I look at what they did and it doesn't make sense. You, you wrote and created Mr. Nancy, Neil Gaiman. I came in to a monologue that was pre-written for me. You didn't write any of the characters of color, be they LGBTQ, plus be they Asian, be they black, be they female, white or black, you didn't write any of your disenfranchised characters. And I understand why you did that. And it is a problem that is in the system of how those types of companies do business. And that is institutional racism in terms of how it plays itself out in the entertainment business. And I am not the one or I should say, I am not the only one to have accused Fremantle of this. Uh, Gabrielle Union has made the same accusations. Nick Cannon has made the same accusations. Um, Mel B. has made the same accusations. At the Edinburgh Film Festival in 2018, the sexual harassment, sexual abuse, and allegations that the wonderful Michaela Cole, who created the show Chewing Gum on Netflix outlined that she suffered at the hands of a company under control of Fremantle are absolutely despicable. So, we're not talking about a company that uh, hasn't had these claims before. They are no different than, uh, you know, Richard Brooks when we discovered that that's the second time that officer has discharged his weapon into somebody's back. Um, got some sensitivity training and then back on the job. but. You know, it's this type of behavior mm. that we're talking about, and it's this type of behavior that we're ultimately trying to address as best we can. But the truth of the matter is these are white people's problems. You created this demon, and it is yours. It is not my job to fix this problem for you. No, no sir. So but, we oh, yeah. it, but, we, but we suffer under it, though.
0: But we suffer under it you lose you lose a a job we don't get jobs we don't get opportunities so it's not just a white people problem it's a white people problem that black people suffer under summer is made to get things done why else would the days be longer and i get it who wants to take classes this time of year you do especially in this time because you're tenacious and you know that working hard will pay off for the rest of the year heck the rest of your life be your best, most tenacious self this summer. Get to work on earning your degree at Ashford University. At Ashford University, your classroom goes with you. The classes are built for summer funds. So you can learn from your patio, the beach, anywhere you are. Ashford University's expert faculty teaches real-world skills, drawing on their years of real-world experience. And you can pursue your bachelor's and master's degree in one of Ashford's 60-plus programs, like business administration, healthcare administration, and psychology. And best of all, Ashford's programs allow you to learn on a convenient and flexible schedule that you can take online in the sun. With 24-7 access to your classroom, daily support, and financial aid available, Ashford gives you the tools you need to help achieve your goals. Be your best, your most tenacious self this summer. Apply to Ashford University today. There's no fee to apply or standardized testing required to enroll. Go to ashford.edu slash Karen. That's ashford.edu slash Karen. Ashford.edu Karen. Not all programs are available in all states.
1: Absolutely. But it is a problem that is in their control to fix because they are in control of the systems that create these problems. So I say it is their problem because I want them to take that responsibility for it and pay people equitably, pay every white man the same way you pay everybody else right now. We don't need government to make these types of moves. We will not fix COVID if we do not provide proper care to the disenfranchised. They'll always have COVID, so COVID will always be around. If we look at medical care and only treat people like me who are privileged, then we will always be in this pandemic. We have to, at some point, acknowledge that be it global warming, water scarcity, women's rights, Black Lives Matter, it doesn't matter what it is, it's all the same thing. They're all linked. It's all inequity. So, I I want to charge white people, not in the sense that I believe that every white person I've ever encountered is racist. There are plenty of white people who grow up in black neighborhoods and didn't get the privilege of that skin and have a much clearer sense of what we mean when we talk about these issues. But the rest of white America, and I mean this in no way to be disrespectful, doesn't know the first thing about racism. You've never experienced it. You're talking to me about something you read or something your black friend told you, but you don't know what this is any more than I know the nuances of, of sexism. How could I know that? I have no idea the, the insidious nature of what sexism does with women and black women. I heard it from the women who raised me, so I got a front row seat. I have a pretty good idea, but I didn't experience it. And I don't know it, and it's not a part of my bones on a daily basis. So let's just get real. If you really want to solve it, if you really want to attach gun violence, go to Jamaica Queen. Find a black woman in the middle of that city that's been caring for those kids for the last 25 years that the gangs won't touch. Ask her what she needs and help her. That's right. And all of your professors and all of your smart people who know how to fix the criminal justice system, no, you don't. Go talk to Shaka Singor. Go talk to Topeka K. Sams. Go talk to Stacey Bunn. Erica Ford. Erica Ford. Erica Ford. Ilya Khadila, go talk to the people Who have been in this battle On the ground in their communities For 20 plus years Ask them what they need And help them I mean I'm not talking about Things that are difficult to do I'm not talking about things That you need to drag government into I'm talking about things That if you truly care You can do right now So That, that for me, is why I say it doesn't matter how upset or angry I am. I I tell this story not because I think it's something to be glorified, but I think it's something to consider. There was a woman named Susan Smith in uh, South Carolina, and many moons ago, uh, she claimed that a black man had carjacked her and taken her children and she described what that black man looked like. There was a nationwide APB put out, and I was stopped eight times in Charleston, South Carolina, as a student at the College of Charleston. There were never any less than 15 cops there. There were always guns drawn. They always instructed me what to do and how to do it. They always made it very clear that they would blow my brains out if I did not do exactly what they were telling me to do. And once they got their hands on me, they whip you to the ground, really close to the car, on the off chance that your head might hit, and you're pretty much unconscious when you hit the ground. And then they ask you questions with their knee in your back, and if what you do is give them any sass, they grab you by your throat to let you know who's in charge. Now, I had been taught how to deal with that situation. My mother prepared me. Um, I was raised by women who loved me and who did not want that to happen to me and wanted me to understand what the consequences were of having a smart mouth in the wrong situation so I walked out of all of those situations alive I don't hate white people in fact I joined the police force as a deputy sheriff in Plaquemine County Louisiana spent a year down there shooting and thought I was hanging out with all these officers a lot of them are black I'm I'm gonna do to Jackie Robinson you know I'm gonna try and make my change from the inside I'm gonna talk my point in saying all that is that I have no bone to pick But I still know what that is, I still know that ain't right, I still know they violated my human rights, I still understand why people want to defund the police department, and I still fundamentally understand that there's an infrastructure in place that goes from the officers to the lieutenants and sergeants and captains that protect them to the politicians who believe that over-policing these areas that you've already gerrymandered and you've already sent funds away from these areas to other areas, there's an entire system in place that is designed to hurt those people. And we know that it's there. This isn't really anything to argue about. It's been there for a very, very long time. It's the loophole in the 14th amendment, because if you're incarcerated, you get to work for no money and be a slave. So again, These aren't new ideas. I'm not saying anything that's interesting. Everything I'm saying, you can research it. It's very simple. It's fact. It has no component of fake news. It's just the history of America. I know it. You know it. Do
2: something. Orlando. Orlando. Thank you. That was, uh, thank you for, for sharing that. And, um, I just kind of wanted to ask something about that happened to you. Uh, by the way, I'm Cena. I'm just a co-host on Thursday, so I'm just a very simple man. There's, it's a big fan no of there's
0: well. no jest here. Sina Gasnave. It's the Thirteenth Amendment. Really? I just want to correct that. That's
1: your at. game. Yeah.
2: yeah, I'm
1: just a co-host. A simple, I'm humble man.
2: Simple <laughs> man. I'm just sweating. You right. uh With you know, uh, the show, the new showrunner said something that Mr. Nancy's anger was um, not what uh, the black community needed. And I wanted to just ask you, you know, as an Iranian-American, I see a lot of white paternalism around a lot. And a lot of people see me because I like, you know, I'm adjacent, of course. And then they'll be like, Sina, don't you think, uh, here's, what, what do you think about this idea? And I just wanted to ask you, how do you see that playing out in Hollywood? How can you comment kind of on that white paternalism as it exists in Hollywood? Because there's got to be a lot of producers and showrunners are like, I've got an idea. Here's how we'll fix it.
1: <laughs> I've been through a lot of diversity movements in Hollywood. I've never seen any of them accomplish much uh, except uh, anointing a new class of folks who are, are meant to be the tokens. Um, if, if what we're going to do is, is tell diverse stories, that means that the storytellers have to be diverse. And if that's going to happen in the entertainment business, that means that the guilds have to diversify their memberships. Otherwise, you can't do that job because all of these shows are regulated by writers' guild members and screen actors' guild members and directors' guild members. And if you're not a guild member, as these guilds are 90% white and overwhelmingly male with less than 5% of their membership really working, um, it's, it's difficult to in- infiltrate the system if you can't solve that particular problem and so from a business standpoint that's the challenge the studios have Um, no matter what they think those memberships have to change and the only way you can get in that membership is by working on a television show that is in fact a writer's guild show so uh, it's it's a particularly closed loop Um, so when I look at a gentleman like Chick Egley you know, who's from Boston and considers himself to be woke and, uh, you know, wants to let you know that he supports the Black Panthers and wants to let you know that he understands diversity and wants to let you know that he writes from a black male perspective. Uh, all that's fine, but you're not a black man. So uh, I understand what you, what you might be able to do is to get close. Um, but, oh, the boss lady is walking in. I see. <laughs> that is Paloma. <laughs> That's my daughter. Um, I understand that you might be able to get close. Yes, my lady. She's coming. Say again, my lady. <laughs> okay. Will you do me a favor and ask Ra to help you while I finish up this interview? And will you please say hello? Hello? Hold on. Say hello. Hi, so Paloma. Hi
0: Paloma. So, What's she bringing hey, us? God. What is this? What, what is this? Let me see what we got. What is that so, oh, what
1: do do? oh, so we have a rock uh that's okay. painted that we found, okay. and right? we have a uh stem learning train where you okay. put the uh the Shapes. pieces in uh, with the train, okay. and we have a itsy bitsy porcupine oh, oh. Uh, and that came out of the bath bomb. I got the bath bombs with the little toys and then so oh so when time, they when they dissolve,
0: know, there's fun stuff
1: going on, yeah yeah. That's correct. Okay. You did. So oh, oh, she oh, okay. No, no, don't you? Okay. Okay. Oh, we to This is right. gonna Thank be. not. Thank you nuts. for letting me finish up. Okay. I appreciate it.
0: Bye, Paloma. Um, She's adorable, which you that already was know. Amazing. She's okay. amazing. Okay. She's amazing. Okay. Where were we? Um, All right. Look, you was you were so saying something really I,
1: important. <laughs> so I, I don't know how important it was. It was important. <laughs> more important. She's more important. <laughs> she is more important than um, everything.
0: You're absolutely right.
1: Um, but. The, So for someone like a chick ugly, there's an arrogance and there's a a core racism in saying something as arrogant as I write from a black male's perspective. There is a a, a sense of comfort that drove him to talk to all of these other writers in Hollywood because it didn't dawn on him that I've been in the writer's guild for over 25 years and I'm tenured and you're talking to people who I used to work with who were calling me saying, do you know this guy? Guys is saying weird stuff about you. i know you for 25 years. <laughs> What's that about? So I began to get information back about what he was saying through people I've known like that who didn't even have a dog in this fight. But I wasn't going to call the studio and the network and attack that situation. What for? I mean, this isn't my first time experiencing racism in the workplace. There's no reason to, to throw a bomb on that, frankly. But in this particular case, to essentially fire me two weeks before production starts because you want to write Mr. Nancy at the end of the day. You don't want me to be the author of Mr. Nancy because Mr. Nancy is the most celebrated character on the show. You want to be the author of Mr. Nancy so you can take credit for that. And that ego, that drive is all it's about. And the studio doesn't care about Mr. Nancy because they said that to The showrunners who created the show, we care about these white characters. We don't care about these other characters. And that was clear. Mr. Nancy's number 18 on the call sheet. (laughs) So he's not the, the character that you're supposed to care about. And so all of those things came together. And all of those institutions who decide which actor you should care about and which actor you shouldn't care about, or the things that drove them to my circumstances. So uh, to answer your question succinctly, Hollywood needs to address that, and it isn't hiring every brand-new, fresh-out-the-box, diverse voice they can find. Uh, there are plenty of black women who have been in Hollywood for a very long time. Uh, Maya Williams is a gifted writer. Uh, I worked with her back on Rock. Uh, Judy McCrary was Dick Wolf's right hand in the creation of the longest running uh, one hour television show in history, Law and Order SVU. A black woman was a key architect in that show and the writer uh, of that show for many moons. But, you know, Judy McCrary doesn't have another show on right now. So the problem isn't talent. The problem isn't talent that has been able to work within the system. The problem is the fraternity. Of 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 complete nepotism, that Hollywood ultimately is.
0: There are outliers. There's Tyler Perry who has built a whole ass studio uh, outside of the framework of Hollywood, doing it his own way and to a lot of success. There are you know Ava DuVernay's and Issa Rae's and uh, who's leveraged her, her power uh, to, to get more opportunities for more people. Lena Waite and others is that the path for us is that is that more of a because we're the talent or we're the ones with the vision and the talent maybe the, the the thing is to do for ourselves or do it ourselves do we need the guild or the
1: guilds? i think the guild i think the guild plays an important role and i think it's always important not to tear down existing infrastructures when you can use those infrastructures to create good creating an infrastructure is a very very difficult thing um you know, when I look at even how uh, our former president, the wonderful uh, Mr. Barack Obama, handled the situation of health care, uh, there's a fair case to be made that you could have funded Medicaid and Medicare and extended the coverage that, uh, that those programs already um, gave to the 15, 30 million Americans that you were looking to bring into the system rather than trying to build an entirely new system which took years to build. So I think the guilds play an incredibly important role in understanding that this is a complex problem um, and it has to be solved in the same way that it was built. The system was built systemically. So we must build our solution systemically and that's not just um, profiting on a showrunner of color because all the showrunners you've named for the most part don't own anything. That That content belongs to the studio and the network, and they might own some you know, AGR definition on the show, but they don't own any significant portion of any of those shows. So uh, when you look at Ivan Reitman, uh, a creator like that, Ivan Reitman owns Animal House. It's his movie. Mm-hmm. He, when you look at Roger Corman's work and Silent Hill and all the movies that he made over the years and how he was able to take an unusual talent like Jack Nicholson and give him work when the system didn't give him work. Well, he owns that catalog of film. So none of us are owners. So I'm always an advocate that we should absolutely unequivocally own. And I don't think trying to get Hollywood to understand why they should do something, they know it's in their financial best interest. The whole thing is built on that. They don't care. And they have so much money, it doesn't really matter. And that's not to denigrate Hollywood in any way. Hollywood has been you know, kind to me. I'm I'm one of the people who, who Hollywood has, has, has accepted. Okay. So I'm not attacking it in that way. I'm just calling it out for what it is. I don't, you know, I don't own those shows. I made people billions of dollars. I can still get treated like a second class citizen and not have anyone come to my rescue. So what, what good is the friendship if no one stands up for you?
0: So why, you know, you have been treated very well you know, as you pointed out, you live well. You're you're one of those people that have, uh, quote unquote, made it. So why not bite your tongue and get along so that you, you know, like how much of being raised in South Carolina and Alabama and having that experience that you had with them, you know, during the Susan Smith situation, how much of that has framed who you are? Because you do not bite your tongue.
1: My reason for doing things just walked in the door. Um, I have a very simple choice to make. I, I, I've encountered many things uh, that were racist throughout the course of my life. And sometimes it's been really pointed, um, as in the situation with American God, but many times it's been innocent. They just didn't know any better. And I'm not going to hold somebody accountable in that way when they were trying to give me a compliment and didn't realize it. I mean, seriously, enough. So I, I, don't, I don't hold anything in my heart like that. It's just, I understand that I love racists. I love homophobes. I like all these people too because we all have somebody in our family that has some type of ism. We all do. And we love that person. We know them a different way. So this isn't about an us versus them. And it's certainly not about um, getting rid of those people like they need to be expunged. That's not, for me, that's a ridiculous uh, notion. But it does mean that we need to wrap our, our, our hands and our arms around those, indivi- those individuals and usher them out of positions of power and control because they are doing damage systemically. They are perpetuating that damage, and we can no longer afford to do that. So I don't bite my tongue because this was my great-great-grandfather's fight, my great-grandfather and grandmother's fight, my grandmother's fight, my father and mother's fight <laughs> – My auntie's fight, now it's my fight. It's their fight. Because pigment automatically means that they are worth less. Pigment and gender automatically mean they are worth less. So they are not valued the same way white women are. Period. End of story. Go look at the pay stubs at any company and see how they pay their black woman and see how they pay their white woman. So if I don't stand up, then... I leave it. To walk, I leave them to walk into the situation. I think it, it is my role and it is my duty as a parent and as a citizen, and as someone who truly believes in human rights, to put whatever apathy I had before aside and, and get involved in my local community to try and create the change that I want to see. Go to your city council meeting, vote. But you need to get involved in your local community. If there's a charity you want to help, I can guarantee you there's somebody in your community that's been trying to get somebody to listen to them for 15, 20 years. That's how I stumbled upon this Mike Adams situation. There were a bunch Talk of ladies and a, and, a, and, a, and, a, and a Facebook group, uh, faculty, alumni, uh, students, all who had suffered at the hands of a criminology professor, At the University of North Carolina, Wilmington, who is a neo-Confederate. Twenty years this man has been in the system teaching criminology. So what is he doing? He's educating the people who go into our court system to hand down disproportionate sentences. Because part of the teaching of his religious teaching that he spends his summers learning from summit group summit ministries that he works with in Colorado. Is they teach feminism? Is is anti? Uh, it's against God, because feminism teaches you not to listen to a white male God, and they're made in God's image. They teach you that the LGBT two plus community, that that, that community is uh, they're sodomites, they are sodomites, they are uh, pedophiles. Um, you target them, you get rid of them. They are evil. They have a sickness. You teach that black people are second-class, uh, Latino people are second-class citizens in the, name of, in the name of Jesus, of course, in the name of God. And you do so with humor, and you do so with a, a pinch of grace and humility, and then you hide behind the First Amendment and say you have the right to have people like Eli Mosley come to the University of Georgia, the University of Florida, uh, and have him be a speaker while they openly recruit white supremacists. They say it. They literally say we're here to create, uh, to recruit uh, European white males. We're a club for them, for you to understand that diversity and multiculturalism are anti-white and are an attack on white people. So that's a system. They got a show on the road. They got the people who are teaching it. They're organizing things like Charlottesville. He's influencing policy and putting people in places in the criminal justice system because he's an educator. He's using the First Amendment with uh, another group of people who believe what he does pay for all of his legal fees for him to sue the University of North Carolina Wilmington and win and have the court say that he has a right to say the vile things he does. And for 20 years, this man has harassed, stalked. Um, He has a bully. He has a group of online, uh, 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 really cyber bullies, right? Uh, He calls them his flying monkeys. What do they do? Some of them follow you and take pictures and video you to let you know you're being followed. Mm. They make death threats. Um, They're always on your social media, so they attack you in multiple different ways to make sure you have the sense that you're being watched at any point. They can snatch the life out of you. So for 20 years, this man has done that. He's gone on Sean Hannity. He's gone on Glenn Beck. He's written articles on town Town hall. He has been celebrated for attacking queer Muslim jihadists and uh, faculty members that brought the LGBTQ community onto the campus and had speakers, Um, minors, doxing, you know, just enough information. So. His flying monkeys have plausible, dis, uh, plausible deniability in figuring out who you are and coming after you. And the university and the chancellor and other faculty have supported that man. The former governor of North Carolina who made that HB2 bathroom law that was so despicable that Hollywood and companies ran from North Carolina supports that man. The city manager supports that man. We all know that, we all know they are connected. Those individuals need to be summarily removed from the system and placed with people who do not hold their bias. So that's why for me, I'm speaking out against Mike Adams because my children go to summer camp there at the University of North Carolina Wilmington. What, you're gonna see them on campus and decide that why not go after them the way you've gone after anyone else? They fit the description. So for me, not biting your tongue and standing up is about that generation, and that generation comes in lots of colors. So it doesn't matter what color they are, it matters that we don't teach our children to hate, and it matters that we teach our children to stand up. For me, this is about us doing it together. We, that's what we talk about.
0: I want to keep having this conversation because you've been you've been a warrior for a while. I, I think it's in your DNA is who you are, Orlando Jones. The Orlando Jones is where you can follow him. Uh, this Mike Adams guy, it's gaining traction because of you. Other celebrities are coming out to to also say, why does this man have a job? And uh, we're going to put our might here behind uh, making sure that this man gets uh, sat down, uh, as you said, everybody around him. Because, again, this is a system. As should the echo- chancellor.
1: As should the chancellor. They, they have to go sit down. I mean, for the chancellor of the University of North Carolina, Atlanta Wilmington's response after the George Floyd bomb went off to the black students was all lives matter. That's what this Brazilian chancellor said. And looking at the race situation in Brazil, who was also marching in the name of George Floyd and the own abuses that have happened in their own country, Brazil having a very similar classism and racism to the United States. I'm like, oh, you you brought a racist with the Latin last name in here. Clever, clever. We see
0: you, yes. (laughs) We see you.
1: It's, we see you. Uh,
0: we see you. Uh, what are you working on now, sir? Where can we see you?
1: You can see me. Uh, the Good Lord Bird is actually about to come out, which I'm really excited about. Um, the amazingly incomparable and kind and talented Ethan Hawke. I can't say enough good things about that, that man. Looks I really that looks good. That looks so
0: good. I saw that. that I saw previews good.
1: for yeah. it.
0: It is off the chain. You're in that? Yes, ma'am. Okay.
1: I I can't wait. uh, The Railman, uh, based on James uh, James, uh, Avery's uh, incredible book uh, of the same name, The Good Lord Bird. Uh, And, you know, for me, it was just about getting an opportunity to play this part of of history that we don't talk about. So I'll, I'll briefly tell you what got me excited about that. And then uh, on Sci-Fi Channel uh, tonight, uh, on, you can see Sci-Fi Wire. I'm doing uh, The Great Debates, uh, and we are geeking out with some fandom stuff, so you can see me there. Uh, and that will be on Sci-Fi tonight, uh, and then Good Lord Bird is coming up. But The Railman, for me, was because I heard a story I'd never heard before. When I read it in the novel, I was, I was floored. You think about... Um, what John Brown was trying to do. John Brown was a white abolitionist that fervently believed that slavery was a sin against God. He believes that he was anointed by God and protected by God uh, to fight against slavery. So if John Brown rolled up on a situation and he came up on uh, some black slaves indentured to some white folk, he emancipated them before he left. And if he had to murder all of the white people there to do it, he did that, and you were summarily emancipated. And he did so with calm because he believed he was anointed by God. So while people were shooting at John Brown, he would be casually talking (laughs) to his group. You grab this, throw that over there, bam, bullets whizzing by. He is completely calm having a conversation. So Ethan Hawke plays that man, and he emancipates a young man And the young man that he emancipates, he mistakes for a young girl. (laughs) And the young man thinks it's probably better not to let him know that he's really a boy because he won't have to do as much work if he's pretending to be a girl. And suddenly their relationship is born. The story is told through that young man's eyes. That's Joshua Joshua Caleb Johnson plays Onion. And the rail man is really... So the key to the Underground Railroad. When you think about how mail was delivered during that period in history, there was no, uh, there was one overnight company. It was called Adams Express Company. You could ship a package from Richmond, Virginia, to Philadelphia overnight. It took 27 hours. Otherwise, it took three days because steam trains had to refill every couple of miles. So every 15, 20 minutes, you had to stop, and it only went 25 miles an hour. So it took news a, a ways to travel. So John Brown's conundrum with how do I get this message to the slaves? I'm going to go to the armory in Virginia. I'm going to steal all the weapons. I'm going to emancipate the slaves, and the slaves will be my army and help me do it. But how do I let the slaves know to come down to the armory, and the ones on the plantations are going to have a tough time, so I need people who are trying to run away, and I need people to come from the north, and I need the rail man to help me. So here's where it got interesting Mm -hmm. for me. At no point have I ever seen a story where during the times of slavery, that there was a black man in a position of power who had a family and who was using and mitigating and working within the system while working against the system. So he was friends with the mayor and saw the mayor as a decent man. But his family had been split up and sold off, and he was trying to buy them back. And now John Brown was about to show up and cause a revolution, and when that happens, you send all the slaves that got a taste of freedom to another plantation. Otherwise, they'll continue to try and escape. All of that is what comes together, at least when my character sort of shows up uh, on the scene of this crazy tale. But I'd never seen that character, and that character's not a victim. Mm. And for me, that's the problem. Mm. That was the power of Mr. Nancy is he's not a victim. He's not telling you a slavery story He has no problem with everybody on that boat burning themselves to death in the name of worship to him He's not necessarily good No, he just uses the truth to get you to do what he wants you to do in the name of him, of course (laughs) He's God. He's you're immortal (laughs) You're not you're not in the same game with him so that's a huge part of how I think we behave, right? That's a huge part of, I think, those individuals that profit off of oppression. And let's be honest, that's how the country was founded. And let's be honest, it continues on today, and that's why there have been no reparations, and that's why the discussion is disgusting anytime you hear it to the people who have been making money and don't have any interest in sharing it. Um, so to play a type, that type of character and to do so in a story that has a white man, who is fervently against slavery, to flip those components that way at this time and for us to possibly begin a conversation that doesn't begin with race but actually begins with just how do we build a better world for our children, you know, as, uh, as the young folks say, for real, for real. For, <laughs> real, for, how real. Do we, for real, for real. How do we do that for real, for real?
0: We're going to keep having this conversation. You have an open seat at our table, sir. Orlando, please come back. Please come thank
1: back. Thank you. That uh, I will. Thank that's that's very kind of you. Thank no, you. I don't no, no, no,
0: lightly. no. I think I I we need more Orlando Joneses out there and we need to keep having this conversation. You are a national treasure. I cannot wait for the good Lord Bird. When I saw the trailer, I did not know you were in it, but I was watching it anyway because I'm an Ethan Hawk fan as well. But thank you for being yeah, here today. Yeah.